Every year, thousands of New Zealanders have their cholesterol levels tested. It's a widely held belief that the amount of cholesterol in the blood determines a person's risk of heart disease. But half of those who suffer a heart attack have normal cholesterol levels. So do we put too much emphasis on cholesterol? And is there a better way to predict who might have a heart attack? Sue Ingram investigates. Last year at shopping malls around the country, New Zealanders lined up to get a free cholesterol test. 10,000 people over a one-week period. 315,000 New Zealanders currently take cholesterol-lowering drugs called statins. Heart disease is a major killer. In this country alone, 6,000 people die from heart attacks every year. It's a critical public health issue and one that's become a major target for drug companies and the food industry. The message that high cholesterol is bad for your heart has been made for decades. And here in the supermarket, the low-fat, low-cholesterol mantra is loud and clear. Here at the dairy cabinet, where there's a range of spreads and margarines, many of them are cholesterol-free, and they have that statement clearly on their products. Along at the cereal aisle, they make claims of low fat. This one, for instance, is 98.9% fat-free. And a brand of oats here is marketing itself, saying it helps lower cholesterol reabsorption. In a different aisle, eggs. These were once the cholesterol villains. Now they've undergone rehabilitation and restrictions have been lifted on the weekly quota. Even in the snack aisle, there are products that claim they're low cholesterol and low fat. Low or no cholesterol content is promoted across a range of products. It's a super marketer's dream. So like eggs, is it time to rethink cholesterol and its role as a predictor of heart disease? Should cholesterol levels presently considered normal be reassessed? Are they more dangerous than previously thought? Are there other risk factors that should be measured instead? Are these better markers of risk? Many of these questions were stirred up by the publication late last year of a clinical trial called the Jupiter Study. This study was a large, randomised controlled trial of a cholesterol-lowering drug or statin called resuvastatin. It was hailed as landmark research. Thousands more New Zealanders may soon be prescribed cholesterol-lowering drugs. A landmark study carried out overseas has revealed they offer significant benefits, even for people with normal cholesterol levels. This study is really quite dramatic in terms of showing how effective a strong cholesterol-lowering treatment known as resuvastatin is at preventing heart disease and stroke. Since it's a really important trial, many would really use the term, although overused perhaps, but in this case, landmark. It'll make us change our thinking greatly. This is really a landmark study in our thoughts about what a normal cholesterol is. Nearly 18,000 people were involved in the trial. They were selected because they had low to normal cholesterol and a high level of an inflammation marker called CRP or C-reactive protein that is identified by a high-sensitive or HS-CRP blood test. Paul Ridka, the lead author of the study, published in November by the New England Journal of Medicine, explains. They had very low levels of LDL or bad cholesterol. They had levels of cholesterol that you would not treat with a statin under any current set of guidelines. But they also had an increased level of that inflammatory process as picked up by HSCRP. So now we're talking about healthy individuals 
would we ever consider giving them a statin to prevent first ever heart attacks and strokes who don't qualify for these drugs because LDL is low, but who we thought would be at increased risk because they have this inflammatory profile. Paul Ridker, who's a cardiologist at Harvard Medical School, describes the trial's results as remarkable. The hazard of having a first ever heart attack was down 54%. The risk of a stroke was down 48%. The risk of needing bypass surgery or an angioplasty to fix a blockage in your artery was down 47%. And perhaps most remarkably, the total mortality, all-cause mortality, was down 20%. It was those figures that led to headlines around the world and the suggestion that statins should be prescribed to all healthy adults. Harvey White is Professor of Medicine at Auckland University and the Director of Coronary Care and Cardiovascular Research at the Green Lane Cardiovascular Unit at Auckland City Hospital. He believes the trial should force a rethink of how people are treated. I think this is what we call a landmark study. It's like scoring a try under the posts in the last minute of the World Cup. It will change patient care, individual patient care, in New Zealand, and it will change our risk assessment for patients who have yet to suffer what is very common in New Zealand, a heart attack or a stroke. Other experts have reacted more cautiously. Stuart Mann is an Associate Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at the University of Otago in Wellington. He warns that the trial results should not be taken at face value. It found a fairly major reduction in what we call relative risk. So the the risk of having a a cardiovascular event, i.e. a heart attack or something like that, was just about halved over the period of the study, which sounds very impressive. The problem is when you translate that into individual uh, actual risk, and if you take 100 people uh, in that study over a year, 1.4 of them would have had an event if they didn't take the drug. 0.8 would have had it if they did take a drug. Professor Mann says assessing the absolute risk of something happening is far more important than using the relative risk. If you have a 20% chance of having a heart attack within the next five years and you can reduce back by half, then most people would probably think that's worthwhile. If your chance is only 1% or 2%, then people might be more thoughtful. And it's uh, that presentation that I think is very important for individuals to be given so they can assess their own risks and balance the inconvenience, costs and everything else of taking a drug for the next few years versus the small reduction of risk they will get. This view echoes many of the online discussions in medical forums that have taken place since Jupiter was published. It should be noted that the study was funded by AstraZeneca, the drug company that also manufactures the statin used in the trial, and that Paul Ridker receives royalties from any HSCRP test conducted. Dr Ridker says his involvement has been fully disclosed and shouldn't detract from the results of Jupiter. This particular clinical trial is what's called a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. Uh, It's the highest form of scientific test we have in the medical community for a specific hypothesis. So while these conflicts are true, it's virtually impossible for them to impact on the outcome of such a study. The trial also showed an elevated risk of diabetes for those taking the statin, which some argue offsets the beneficial effects of the drug shown in the research. Nonetheless, the study does indicate at least some benefit for those with low to normal cholesterol levels. So, if current cholesterol targets were set much lower, would more lives be saved?
cholesterol, how it's made and transported around the body is a complicated process. In an attempt to make it more accessible to lay people, cholesterol has been labelled good and bad. Bear in mind that cholesterol is a substance vital for the healthy functioning of the body, and there is evidence that too little could be more dangerous than too much. 80% of the cholesterol in our bodies is manufactured by the liver. 20% comes from our diet. Although it's often thought that cholesterol in food is directly linked to the amount in the blood, Norman Sharp, the medical director of the Heart Foundation, says it's the amount and type of fat in the diet that's more important. The cholesterol in the body is mostly made in the body, but it's very much influenced by how much fat we eat and how much saturated fat in particular. So those who eat a high saturated fat diet will tend to have higher blood cholesterols. This is the way the body responds. For many years, the medical focus was on total cholesterol levels, and a figure of over five—that is, five millimoles per liter—was considered elevated and potentially dangerous. That figure is now thought to be less important. More significance is placed on a figure of two millimoles or less per liter of bad cholesterol, or LDL, low-density lipoprotein. But in the wake of the Jupiter study, should even this measurement be reassessed? Cardiologist Harvey White believes so. The cholesterol levels that we've looked at in the past, and it has to be noted that New Zealand has been very conservative, continues to be very conservative,、uh, have been far too high. We like to look at what's called the low-density lipoprotein, low-density fat, and in New Zealand、uh, our level has been 2.5. We've recently reduced it to two. In、uh, the UK, it's 1.8. Cardiac Society guidelines: It's 1.6, and in this study, it was 1.4. The New Zealand Guidelines Group, which advises the medical profession about best practice, has just reassessed its advice on the treatment of heart disease, taking the Jupiter study into consideration. It has decided to leave cholesterol targets unchanged. So at present, patients are advised that their total cholesterol level should be at four or lower, and their LDL or bad cholesterol no more than two. The links between eating fat and cholesterol levels, and cholesterol levels and heart disease, are not accepted by everyone. British GP Malcolm Kendrick is a vocal member of the International Network of Cholesterol Skeptics. He has a long history of writing about heart disease and is convinced that cholesterol levels have little to do with whether you'll die of a heart attack. Australian Aboriginals have the lowest cholesterol level of any population studied, and they have a heart disease rate that is about 30 times that in France, and about 15 times that in the United Kingdom. The Swiss have the highest average cholesterol levels of any population or country in the world, and their heart disease rate is about a third of that in the United Kingdom. And wherever you look, you basically see there's no correlation between cholesterol levels and heart disease, none at all. It's a view rejected by the mainstream here. Norman Sharp from the Heart Foundation, who sits on the guidelines group, says although cholesterol targets haven't been changed, the data does encourage a more aggressive approach towards all risk factors, not just cholesterol. Hello, have a seat. So, what can we do for you today? In fact, doctors in New Zealand are now encouraged to assess a person's absolute cardiovascular risk by adding together a variety of risk factors, such as age and sex, smoking status. Blood pressure, the presence of diabetes, cholesterol, and family history.
The factors are amalgamated to produce a score that reveals someone's risk of heart disease. It's expressed as a person's percentage risk over five years. If the risk is too high, some form of treatment is recommended, whether that be a change in diet and lifestyle and/or medication. Stuart Mann from the University of Otago. It's much more important, in my view, that we look at this as a comprehensive thing rather than look at individual risk factors. You might, for instance, have a high cholesterol, but no other major risk factors, and therefore you wouldn't be at particularly high risk. Well, he's got a raised cholesterol with an HDL that's around、uh, one, with a ratio of six, so it's along the higher level of what we'd recommend in terms of cholesterol HDL ratios. Wellington GP Ben Gray is assessing William, a Māori shopkeeper who's fifty. He's got a blood pressure that's raised. He's a fifty-year-old, and he's a Māori man who's a smoker. So, I mean, he's a sitter, really. The odds of him having a problem with cardiovascular disease and/or diabetes is, you know, is high. Now, what am I going to do? I'm going to sit down and say to him, "Well, if you do nothing, then the chances of you having a problem in the next five years is probably ten or fifteen percent on a quick look." So, what do you want to do about it?、Uh, and yes, one of the options available is giving him some tablets to lower his cholesterol level, but the odds. Of someone taking a pill that I prescribe as prescribed, without a reasonable amount of follow-up input, is、uh, a lot less than a hundred percent. It's a different story for John. He's white, also in his early fifties. This is a man who has no diabetes, who is a non-smoker, who has a family history of coronary disease. Now, I'd want some detail about that. A family history of a father who died at the age of thirty-five is quite different from a family history of a father who died at the age of eighty-two. Um, so, how much weight to put on that family history would depend, and his cholesterol ratio of three point seven four is below the range which they recommend the treatment with statins. His、uh, total cholesterol is slightly larger than the range,、um, but he's got a high HDL cholesterol. I would prefer to be doing a consultation with this man rather than focused around his cholesterol. About well, okay, you're fifty two. What things do you know already are things which are going to catch up with you in terms of your health, and and what things are you interested in doing?、Um, because the risk here is that I say, oh, your cholesterol levels okay, and he'll go away and keep eating the fats and the what have you, and may still die prematurely for things that we can't measure a blood test for. His cholesterol level in isolation is of no meaning to me whatsoever, unless we have all that other information and also his own views about it. Norman Sharp from the Heart Foundation says solely targeting cholesterol levels is a dated practice. Looking at single risk factors is very 1970s, if you like. I think、uh, all around the world now we appreciate that we need to take a broader approach, and we need to look at cholesterol, but we need to look at everything together. But the 10,000 people who flocked to New Zealand shopping malls in Unilever's Test the Nation campaign. Were enticed there by the offer of a free cholesterol test. Unilever markets the margarine Flora Proactive that claims to slow the absorption of cholesterol into the bloodstream. Megan Ramsey, a senior nutritionist for Unilever in Australia, says 80% of those tested had elevated cholesterol levels. 
certainly raising people's awareness of cholesterol as a problem will bring some level of anxiety to some people who find out if they have um, cholesterol levels higher than they anticipated. However, the more people who are aware of cholesterol as an issue for themselves or their family, the more people will help prevent that cholesterol progressing into heart disease. But the Heart Foundation's Norman Sharp says such tests, done as part of a marketing campaign, mean very little. It's not very clever just to measure things in the shopping mall or in the pharmacy or wherever if there's no follow-up. People will either be falsely reassured or made over-anxious or whatever, and they really need to have this done in the right setting with the proper discussion and support and follow-up that's required. Unilever distributed pamphlets on diet and lifestyle along with the cholesterol tests. But Megan Ramsey says it's not known whether people followed up their tests with a visit to their GP. Sales of Fluoroproactive increased by 7% in New Zealand in the month following the campaign. The Jupiter study seemed to indicate that high levels of the inflammation marker CRP could be important in indicating cardiovascular risk. At present in New Zealand, tests to measure CRP are not regularly carried out. Harvey White, the Director of Coronary Care and Cardiovascular Research at the Green Lane Cardiovascular Unit, believes that should change. It costs about $6. This has to be in perspective. A day in the coronary care unit costs about $1,500. And seeing your GP uh, costs between $50 and $60. This is very cheap in terms of identifying risk, identifying for the individual patient information that will be helpful in them taking responsibility for their health. I don't think it's an argument not at, at all that it's not available. It's not available because we've been waiting uh, for data such as the very important Jupiter trial to tell us that this is a very important test and I'm sure every laboratory in New Zealand could very readily have this test uh, available within weeks to months. So if a patient walked into their GP surgery tomorrow and felt that they wanted a, a, an HSCRP test, you think it would be right for them to ask for it? I think if the patients are at intermediate risk or the patients on cholesterol lowering uh, without reaching their goal or their goal is round about uh, 2 millimoles per litre of the LDL, that the CRP, high sensitivity as you point out, should be measured. Harvey White believes the guidelines group should have included advice to doctors about the use of HSCRP tests. But Stuart Mann, a member of the group, says there is conflicting evidence about the relevance of CRP. It's attracted a lot of interest because certainly people with high CRP do seem to be at increased risk. However, there are two quite good studies which show that it adds very little to the traditional risk factors in increasing the prediction of risk. Professor Mann says the search is on for new markers that will give a more accurate indication of risk. There are still a lot of people in theoretically in the low-risk group who are still going to have heart attacks. And this is one thing that frustrates us as cardiologists, that we see people come in with heart attacks who were always at predictably low risk and nev never quite qualified for any intervention with drugs or, or other things. But it's just because of that low-risk group is a very large group. And even though they are at low risk and there's only a small proportion of them, uh, that's still going to be a large number. And we keep looking for new markers, and CRP has been one that's excited us because it's got a, 
a, a logical uh, biochemical rationale behind it and some evidence of, of tracking with risk that has a potential to be, to be valuable. But there's one study that showed that if you were on the classic risk factors, you had a 15% five-year risk. If you had a high CRP, that would raise it to 17%. If you had a low CRP, it would drop it to 13%. That's not a huge difference from the original risk estimate. However, inflammation is beginning to emerge as an important factor in the story of a heart attack. Professor White. It's inflammation, we think, that uh, is related to the rupturing of the plaque, the final common pathway that causes a heart attack. So it's not good enough modifying cholesterol and blood pressure and smoking. We have to modify our diet, we have to exercise more, uh, and we also have to target inflammation. British GP Malcolm Kendrick believes it's actually the reduction of inflammation that makes statins successful, not the fact that they cut cholesterol. From his home in Manchester, Dr Kendrick told me he wasn't surprised that Jupiter showed some benefits. I've always said that statins have been effective at reducing the risk of heart disease and, uh, and stroke. My argument has been that they don't, they don't do it by lowering cholesterol level, they do it through other mechanisms. Uh, and in fact, the study was set up to, to demonstrate in a way that heart disease is not a disease of necessarily of raised cholesterol and that if you reduce inflammation, you reduce the rate of heart disease. However, Malcolm Kendrick does not support an extended use of statins. He believes they have too many side effects. Peter Jones from Manitoba University in Canada says growing evidence suggests 20 to 30 percent of people taking statins experience some side effects. Taking those drugs isn't completely without side effect. Now 20 to 30 percent of people are reporting this uh, side effect called myalgia or, or muscle pain. So statins are not the absolute magic bullet. Some cardiologists argue, however, that statins are so safe they should be available over the counter. That's not something GP Ben Gray would like to see. It becomes the inverse care law uh, that the people who know all about statins and who are worried about their cholesterol level being 1% higher than the ideal go out and get their government-funded statins, whereas those who, in order to improve their risk, require case management. And that... I think is the group which need the greatest care and that what happens if you just provided statins is that you'll provide it for the white upper middle class who are all paranoid about having their heart attacks who actually are at much lower risk from the group of people who are less likely to go and, and uh, get them directly from the pharmacy. Dr Gray, who's also a lecturer at the University of Otago in Wellington, says he's irritated at the amount of public money spent on statins. I'm really grumpy about the fact that with the stroke of a pen, I can spend thousands of dollars worth of the state's funding channeled through a drug company for a cholesterol pill. But I have great difficulty employing more nurses to case manage the people I have who are at high risk so that you have someone working with them to work out what their goals are, to discuss with them the meaning of the various blood test results, to find out how they understand risk. The government's drug buying agency, Pharmac, spends $30 million, or nearly 5% of its budget, on statins. Its subsidy is restricted to one type, called simvustatin, and a second-line statin that is more potent and more expensive, called avorvastatin. There are, however, other stronger statins that are not subsidised here. Cardiologist Harvey White argues that New Zealanders are being disadvantaged by this rationing and that rosuvastatin, the one used in the Jupiter trial, should be available. Pharmac's medical director, Peter Moody, says that's unlikely to happen. 
We're still considering it, but uh, the last time it was looked at by our clinical groups, they felt that there was not a huge need for it. There is a small group of patients who may benefit, but if you really want to get the mortality and the morbidity down in New Zealand, you want to get the people who are most at risk on the right therapy, on any dose of these drugs. Peter Moody says although a large number of people are taking statins, many more who are eligible aren't being treated. He says accessing these people, many of whom are at high risk, is more important than making more statins available. Others fear that extending the use of statins would simply amount to medicating those who are well. GP D. Mangan tells me about one of her patients. We'll call her Mary, and Mary was in her 80s and was very fit and well played bowls, very active social life, wonderful woman. And um, she went into hospital for a relatively minor procedure, not related at all to her heart. But while she was in there, somebody measured her cholesterol and decided that she ought to be started on a statin drug. And the Mary that came out of hospital that I saw again was quite a different person. This was a Mary still enjoying her life, but now worried about her heart disease. Dr Mangin, who's also an associate professor at the Christchurch School of Medicine, says she fears that the use of statins may be changing the way people are dying, not cutting the number of deaths. There's one study that was done looking at statin use in in people over the age of 70. And when you look at the data from that study initially, if you have a single disease perspective, it looks very good because the rate of death and illness from heart disease was reduced substantially. So if you're a physician or a patient looking at that data, you would think that it would look like a good idea to take these drugs. However, when we looked at the data in that group, taking a broader perspective, it seemed that the overall death rate didn't change at all. There was no difference between those taking the drug in the study, the statin drug, and those taking the placebo. So trying to understand the reason for this, we looked again more in more detail at the data and it seemed that the drop in deaths and illness due to heart disease was balanced by an equal increase in the rates of death and illness due to cancer. And this makes sense really if you accept the fact that death is inevitable and that our bodies have a finite functional life. Everything tends to wear out at about the same time and this is the reason why as we get older when we have one chronic disease we tend to have multiple chronic diseases. So if we're looking at treatment aiming to reduce the rate of one disease as the commonest cause of death, then another will always rise to take its place. Dr Mangan believes if people were given better information, they might decide that dying from a heart attack would be preferable to other causes of death. There isn't a lot of research on this, but the research that is there suggests that people do prefer heart disease as a cause of death over, say, cancer or dementia, uh, for example. And that my view is that changing people's cause of death without extending their life or reducing their suffering is, is fundamentally unethical and undermines the whole notion of, of autonomous and informed choice. Since the 1970s, deaths from heart disease have fallen dramatically, a trend that began long before the widespread use of statins. The decrease is largely put down to lifestyle changes.
But new approaches and more aggressive treatment may be warranted in future as obesity and diabetic epidemics reverse that trend and begin to push death rates up again. That program was written and presented by Sue Ingram.